0: U.S. Navy History, arriving. Welcome to the U.S. Navy History Podcast. I am Dale, and then over there we have everyone's favorite XO, Stephen. Hey there, everyone. So, we had just had the last general surrender.
1: So now we're going to go into the post-war before heading into the battles. How does that sound? Uh... My knowledge of history is going to make me sad about this. But hey, rebuilding for more is a good thing, usually. Yeah, but, I mean, the winners couldn't be better. Either my coffee didn't work this morning or you broke my brain with that one. (laughs) The Union winning instead of the Confederacy? Oh yeah, that is a good thing. Yeah.
0: So, shall we get underway? Let's cast off. All righty. So, didn't know whether you know this or not, but the European areas in the 1860s was very, very fragmented. France is in a weakened state, and Britain is pretty much still shell-shocked by their performance in the Crimean War. It was bad. It was a bad performance. Germany doesn't exist yet as a United State. Right. Right. And France was not able or just didn't want to support any side, whether the Confederacy or the Union, without Britain. Now, they were also further distracted by what you had just mentioned, Germany, and also Italy, who were both experiencing unification troubles. They're trying to become unified into their own country,
1: but it's just not working because... Otto von Bismarck is a clever son of a... Because of Russia. Oh, okay. And Russia actually supported the Union. (laughs) Uh, Current events being what they are, that is hilarious. (laughs) Yeah. Now, the Confederacy did hope that, you know,
0: Britain and France would join them and fight against the Union. But, you know, that wasn't going to happen. So they decided to try to bring them in as mediators. Now, Lincoln and the Secretary of State, which was William H. Seward, they blocked it with all their might. They were like, we, this is not going to happen. No, I don't agree to this. And they actually threatened war to any country that officially recognizes
1: the existence of the Confederacy. On one hand, holy crap, you're already involved with a civil war? Not sure if now's a good time to be threatening international war? On the other hand, I can appreciate where they're coming from because having other countries acknowledge your existence as a country is a quick way to gain legitimacy. Yeah, you know, we knew that
0: Lincoln was tall, but we did not have any idea about the conholes on this guy.
1: That does explain the wheelbarrow he has in so many pictures. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> We'd like to apologize to the state of Abraham Lincoln for the joke about uh, cojones. <laughs> <laughs> so in
0: 1861, the Southerners voluntarily embargoed cotton shipments. They were hoping to start a economic depression in Europe, and that would force Britain to enter the war ...in order to get said cotton.
1: But, you know, it didn't work. Ah, market manipulation. You never fail to be amusing. Right. What instead happened
0: was that Europe just went and found other cotton suppliers. And they found superior cotton, actually. So this actually really hurt the Southern's recovery after the war.
1: Oh, no. Do we know where that came from? I'm just curious. The
0: cotton shortage
1: was replaced by Egypt and India. Good old colonialism. Why yeah. rely on rebellious colonies when you can use one still under your control? Mm-hmm. Now, another thing
0: that helped the Union and not the Confederacy was the 1862 crop failures in Europe. And this made the grain exports from the Union vitally important.
1: Yeah, if uh, you're relying on imports from a country engaged in a civil war, you're not going to risk losing those by supporting the opposition. Yeah. They said that, quote, King Corn was more powerful than King Cotton. I mean, corn bread. I don't know, I don't, you can do a lot of stuff with corn, aside from just eating it on the husk, but that's the one only one I know. Popcorn. XO doesn't care for it. Cornmeal. If any listeners know great corn recipes, so we have more to draw on, aside from popcorn and cornmeal and cornbread, let us know. Clearly, uh, the ship's cook isn't uh, giving us enough variety in our maize. He loves corn. So, the grain shipments went
0: from a quarter... Of British imports to just about
1: half. Dang.
0: Yeah. Now, it did help the European arms makers and iron workers and the British shipping community actually to transport weapons.
1: To the Union?
0: Oh, okay. okay.
1: We couldn't make our own rifles?
0: I'm sure we did. But, you know, it's
1: kind of hard when you're under constant fire. That's fair. That's fair. And what's better than one country's industrial power base being used towards war? Several being funneled towards you. Yeah. Now, the Confederacy did
0: purchase several warships from commercial shipbuilders in Britain. The most famous among these is the CSS Alabama. This boat did a lot of damage and led to... Well, a lot of post-war disputes. Now, there was a little bit of a snafu in 1861 as the U.S. and Britain had a little bit of a tiff against the Trent Affair. And this involved the U.S. Navy's boarding of a British mail steamer to seize two Confederate diplomats. Yeah, that's, uh, that's not a great look. But, you know, London and Washington were able to smooth over the problem since Lincoln did release the two guys. Now, in 1862, the British did consider coming in to mediate, even though they had an idea that offering the mediation could risk war with the U.S. Now, it is reported that Lord Palmerston read Uncle Tom's Cabin three times,
1: trying to decide if this is a good move or not. On one hand, I mean, back in this time, before, you know, international journalism is what it is today, that, that might be the best resource he had to kind of get some inkling what slavery was like in the South. On the other hand, reading a novel to decide how you want to tackle an international relations issue feel like there were better options.
0: Oh, there was a lot more better
1: options. But, I mean, that's the British for you, I guess? Cucumber sandwiches, tea time, in Uncle Tom's cabin. Got it. In 1861.
0: Now, when the Union won a victory in the Battle of Antium, this caused the British to just take a chill pill and not come to a decision just yet. And then the Emancipation Proclamation would reinforce the political liability of
1: supporting the Confederacy. Because before that time it was just Southern states saying we don't want to be in the Union anymore. But with the Emancipation, yep. Emancipation Proclamation now it became about slavery which at this point I think every European nation had outlawed. Well, definitely Britain. They
0: abolished slavery in all the British colonies in 1834. Almost 30 years before this time and place. So France stepped away from the Union, even though they had a lot of sympathy for them. Because they failed to secure Mexico. They tried They tried for Mexico. France tried for Mexico? Yep. Oh. And this... Yeah. <laughs> Is this single de Mayo? This happened December 8th. Okay, okay of 1861 to june 21st of 1867 this was actually the second invasion of mexico from the french but to know more about this go to the french military history podcast but since they failed in mexico they were like yeah we're not going to war with the union sorry confederacy we love you but it's not happening now the confederacy did offer late in the war to end slavery In return for
1: diplomatic recognition. um, But London and Paris... Huh? Oh, okay. You answered my question.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but London and Paris, they were like, you know what, guys? I don't believe them. They're they're not going to do that. We're going to recognize them, and they'll be like, JK, we're keeping them. And in 1863, the Poles come in and revolt against russia and this this just put another distraction in the european area and so that's all of that is why everybody was just like you know what we're just you guys have your own stuff we have our own stuff we're just we're staying out so now we get into the costs of everything money money yeah now everything is under Contention because nobody can agree because of, you know, racism. But the actual results that are written down, you cannot really, you know,
1: dispute things like that. Regardless of whoever you say is responsible, if a building suffered $2,000 in damage, it suffered $2,000 in damage. Right. So the first thing that you can't dispute is that Confederate nationalism died, and American nationalism triumphed. All, all the flags I see on the back of a lot of pickup trucks. I'm not sure if that's true. I don't know if that'd be nationalism for Confederacy. It's just, you know, racism. Fair enough. Fair enough.
0: <laughs> <laughs> now, the North and the West, they grow rich. And the South becomes, you know, a third world country for about a century. The national political power of slave owners... And the rich Southerners, that's done. Now, there, it gets hazy about the results of the Reconstruction and the citizenship of the freedmen and how poor they were forced to stay. Now, historians have debated whether the Confederacy actually had a chance to win. And there are... A lot of scholars that say that it was possible,
1: not likely, but there was a glimmer of hope. One phrase I heard that I think rings true is, it wasn't likely, but at the same time, they had a better chance than we had of winning the Revolutionary War. Right. The
0: numbers in population and resources made the north while not guaranteeing the victory made it very very likely but if the confederacy had actually used unconventional tactics instead of trying to go mano a mano so if they would have went more for guerrilla warfare they would have been able to hold out a lot easier and possibly
1: exhaust
0: them exhaust the north
1: and won that way So instead of committing to big overland battles and sweeping campaigns, going more for smaller units, just roving around the border country or crossing into the Northern Territory, raising hell and then falling back as needed for resupply. Not even that.
0: They could have just fought a defensive war. There was no reason for them to go north and seize territory. Make the North come to you and fight a defense of war to convince the north that the cost of winning was just way too high. Because again, if you're going against a defended position, you have to use three times more troops to get that defended position. And it's still not guaranteed. We've seen that time and time again. So the war had about 1,030,000 casualties. Wow. That's about 3% of the population in this time. This was about 620,000 soldier
1: deaths, two-thirds of it by disease, and 50,000 civilians. So where's the other roughly 550,000 coming from? Civilians? Injuries. Oh. Casualties are deaths and injuries. Oh, okay, okay.
0: Yeah, this war accounted for roughly as many American deaths as
1: in all American deaths deaths bleh, as in all American deaths in other US wars combined. And the reason the number is so high in this one is whether north or south it is considered an American casualty. Right? Yeah, it's Americans versus Americans. Based on a 1816 census
0: of all white males between 13 and 43 died in the war, which is 6% in the North and 18% in the South. About 56,000 soldiers died in prison camps during the war, and an estimated 60,000 men lost a limb or two or three, maybe even all four. Now, a reason for the high number of casualties and deaths during the war was because of Napoleon tactics. Like charging. You know, affix bayonets, charge.
1: Hmm. Pointy stick versus wall of men firing guns. I don't like those yeah. odds.
0: Yeah. Especially towards the end of the war when rifled barrels became a thing, when mini balls and repeating firearms, such as the Spencer repeating rifle and the Henry repeating rifle, were introduced. This allowed them to mow down soldiers when standing in, you know, the
1: formation lines, like they all did up until this point. And were um, hand-cranked Gatling guns a thing yet, or was that about a decade and change later?
0: Yes, a few times, but not many. Now... Once these new inventions did come out, guess what happened? More casualties.
1: Adoption of trench warfare, which was the horrors of World War I. Tactics do have a tendency to lag behind about half a century or so in this time, don't they? Yeah. Just wait till the machine guns come out. I'd rather not. <laughs> Repeating rifles are already causing so many problems, we don't need them to be shooting. Yeah you know, with an unlimited magazine, hundreds of rounds a minute. Yeah. Now, the
0: wealth that was amassed in slaves and by slavery for the Confederacy's estimated 3.5 million blacks effectively ended when the Union armies marched in. And, of course, they were pretty much all freed by the Emancipation Proclamation. All of the investment that the Confederate bonds had... At the end of the war, this was all forfeit, which made most banks and railroads
1: go bankrupt. Oh, oh, wow. I never even thought about that. Yeah. What happens to your war bond if you lose? Bye. It goes bye bye. I suppose that is an investment in uh, your country's future. Yes. And if you don't have a country at the end of it,
0: there's nothing, nobody to pay you back. So the income per person in the South dropped to 40% less than their counterpart
1: in the North. This lasted well into the 20th century. Yeah, like an economic hit like that is not something that you recover from in a quick manner, let alone even in a generation. Yeah, and the Southern
0: influence in the federal government was pretty much... ...diminished until the latter half of the 20th century. So, while not all Southerners saw themselves as fighting to preserve slavery... ...most of the officers and over a third of the rank and file in Lee's army... ...had, you know, very close ties to slavery. But the Northerners, their motivation was just to preserve the Union... ...not to abolish slavery... They just wanted to preserve what they had. So Lincoln, he made preserving the Union the central goal of the war. But, you know, he saw slavery as a critical issue and he made ending it a additional goal. So when he issued the Emancipation Proclamation, he angered both Peace Democrats, aka Copperheads, and War Democrats. But, He energized most of the Republicans, and they warned that the free blacks would flood the North, and this allowed Democrats to make gains in the 1862 elections, but not gain control of Congress. Now, the Republicans, they argued that slavery was the mainstay of the enemy and steadily gained support, with the Democrats losing in 1863 by a landslide. So, the Emancipation Proclamation itself. This enabled African Americans, both freedmen that had already been freed, and escaped slaves to join the Union Army. And about 190,000 of them volunteered for this. So, of course, this further enhanced the numerical advantage of the Union Armies over the Confederacy. Because they were scared to do the same thing so Lincoln was worried that premature attempts at emancipation would mean that the border states would be lost. And he said, quote, to lose Kentucky is nearly the same as to lose the whole game. And, you know, Democrats on both sides oppose emancipation, although they would eventually accept it as a part of,
1: quote, total war needed to save the Union. So he was waiting for, you know, a good Union victory to uh, make the announcement with so that it'd be uh, not as hard of a blow and made the argument of it isn't just a moral imperative, it is a logistical one because now we can, you know, truly go out of our way to take away the enemy's, you know, source of labor in their fields.
0: Well, kind of. At first, he attempted to reverse the emancipation set forth by the Secretary of War, Simon Cameron, and Generals John C. Fromont in Missouri and David Hunter in San... in South Carolina, Georgia, and Florida. Because they wanted to keep the loyalty of the border states and war... and the war Democrats. And then Lincoln warned that the... And then Lincoln warned the border states that a more radical type of emancipation would happen if his gradual plan, based on compensated emancipation and voluntary colonization, was rejected. But, you know, only D.C. accepted his plan. (laughs) Now, when Lincoln told his cabinet about his proposed emancipation proclamation... Seward advised Lincoln to wait for victory before, you know, telling everybody. Because if he didn't, it would seem like, quote, our last shriek on the retreat. So the Battle of Antium in 1862 provided the opportunity that they wanted. And Lincoln issues his first draft of the Emancipation Proclamation on September 22nd of 1862 and you know the final document January 1st of 63. Lincoln explained to a gentleman named Albert G. Hodges quote if slavery is not wrong nothing is wrong and yet I have never understood that the presidency conferred upon me an unrestricted right to act officially upon this judgment and feeling." I claim not to have controlled events, but confess plainly that events have controlled me. Now, Lincoln's moderate approach did succeed in getting everybody on board and fighting for the Union. Now, Kentucky, Missouri, Maryland, Delaware, and West Virginia, and New Orleans that were under Union control, Norfolk, and anywhere else not covered by the Emancipation Proclamation, these guys all abolished slavery on their own, except for Kentucky and Delaware. Because the president pretty much said, this is a presidential order. It only included territory held by the Confederates at the time. But, I mean, the proclamation became a symbol of the Union's commitment to add emancipation to the union's definition of Liberty
1: mm-hmm. which it should have been right from the get-go well and the big reason it wasn't was they were worried about losing the uh, southern colonies during the revolution if they made a uh, combination of slavery now that that's an excuse but yeah yeah that you can only you can only kick that ball so far down the lane until it you know, become such a big issue that civil war happens surprise (laughs) yeah
0: (laughs) and then of course by the end of 64 Lincoln was getting congress to vote for the 13th amendment which made emancipation universal and permanent go Lincoln so that is pretty much it I think I mean
1: there's not much more to (laughs) say Ah, uh, well, when you initially told me what the episode was going to be about, I was—I thought you meant like you were going to go into uh, reconstruction and, you know, how it was. It started with very lofty ideals and a good mission statement, but how it ended up going was very different from the initial uh, game plan. That Yeah,
0: that's true. I mean, it had multiple complex methods to resolve the war which were three Reconstruction Amendments to the Constitution, which actually remain in effect right now. This was the 13th, the 14th, and the 15th. But, I mean, they went back and forth for a number of years trying to further cement and then try to reject everything that had been done. You know, just as it happens now. Yeah. Every time there's a regime change. I mean, they use the army to dissolve southern state governments and hold new elections with freedmen being given
1: the vote before, you know, it was taken away a couple years later. Right. Well, any candidates for the Reconstruction era, in theory, were supposed to be uh, federal government approved because they didn't want any uh, local folks who were too big for their britches thinking, hey, you know what we need? A sequel. Yeah. This is when the Freedmen's Bureau
0: came into being. This was started by Lincoln in 1865, which was to help freed slaves and playing a major role in helping them to get work. And this is also when the KKK sprang into being.
1: Oh, wonderful. Just Great. That's what we need. Anything else for the reconstruction you want to cover? Hmm. <laughs> no, no. You're good now? Like I said, like I said, I, uh, <laughs> that was the initial hesitation of like, oh boy, this is going to be a, a fun one. <laughs> All right. So anyway, that's the Civil War. That was that, that was a war. <laughs> that happened. That, that's, that sure that did happen. Emancipation, good, but holy crap, did everything else suck about that? Yeah. You know what?
0: We're, we're going to go ahead and we're going to end it now. It's going to be a little bit of a shorter episode, but next week we're getting into what the XO has been wanting to do all Civil War long. Ironclads. Good
1: riddance, Wood. So... Anything you would like to say before we depart, Stephen? Well, if anybody wants to reach out to us via email, you can do so at usnhistorypodcast at gmail.com. Or you can tweet at us at usnhistorypod. ushistorypodcast at gmail.com. Well, I was overdue for mucking it up at some point.
0: We are also on Discord, and this ship's store and everything
1: that the XO has messed up is in the show notes, and you can easily just click on it. If you folks need me, I'll be down in the galley working with the cook again because apparently I have not learned my lesson. Potato peeling time. Yep. Don't worry, I got the good one. (laughs) Alright guys, fair winds and following
0: seas. We will see you next time. U.S. Naval History Podcast, departing.